So, uh, friends, brothers and sisters, this is God's word to us this morning. Romans chapter 7. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives? For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So then, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandments, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life. And I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognised as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death, so that through the commandments, sin might become utterly sinful. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do. But the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind 
and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law. But in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. I'm going to pray again for us. Please join me. Our gracious God, we do need your help this morning. We need your help every day, every hour. We need you. We thank you that you give yourself to us in your word and in your spirit at work in us. Uh, Lord, we pray today that we, that we might have minds that are able to grasp uh, what you have for us in this part of your word. Um, not only that, though, Father, we pray for hearts that are soft to receive your word and we pray that you might, through it, transform our wills. Uh, Lord, we pray this, that our lives might ever increasingly reflect who you have made us to be in Christ. And we pray that all for your glory. Amen. Well, friends, you've probably heard of the idea of a sacred cow, right? Everyone, I'm, I imagine, has heard of this idea of a sacred cow, right? It's a, a sacred cow is some kind of belief or tradition or institution uh, that you, that's kind of untouchable, right? No one can question your sacred cows, whatever they are, and when they're attacked, people fire up. Um, we've obviously, uh, this is sort of the compulsory um, election uh, comment in the sermon. We've, we've just been through an election cycle, right? Uh, we've just had the, uh, apparently last I checked, no clear winner has been called. But just as a thought experiment, I wonder, I have wondered, kind of uh, leading up to today, how the sacred cow party would have gone in this election, right? You can just go with me with this. Imagine a campaign that went something like this. You know all those public holidays you've been getting? Well, they're nice. But they're pretty unproductive, so look, we're just going to get rid of them all, okay? Every single one of them. And we are getting a bit tight for parking up in the city, so you know that big bit of grass up there, something the, some oval? Uh, we're just going to demolish that and build a multi-storey car park, right? And, you know, that's... Uh, oh, and it's, while we're at it, it's been nice to have free access to beaches, but we do really need to balance the budget, so from now on every beach is going to have a razor wire fence installed and you need to pay 20 bucks to get in, right? I mean... You know, maybe some of those are some of our Aussie sacred cows. Things are you, you cannot be serious. How can you say something like that? Unbelievable. Get your hands off our beaches, you know, <laughs> off our oval, of our public holidays. You see, the thing about sacred cows is you don't often notice them, but when they're threatened, you know, if they're threatened, things can heat up pretty quickly. Well, what's all this got to do with Romans <laughs> chapter 7 that we just had read out? Uh, we're looking at this, this chapter of the Bible from Romans 7 today and uh, we're going to see how Paul actually deals with, how Paul deals with a massive sacred cow, a massive uh, a sacred cow for his first readers. You see, the reason I mention that is it can be kind of hard for us 2,000 years later to get how shocking this whole idea would have been for the first people that would have read this letter out, that Paul would have written to, the first people. Uh, but for the Christians in Rome, this was a huge deal. What Paul says here would have been absolutely shocking. 
Uh, it would have gone right to the core, the, to their core, and it would have brought out deep, strong emotions, even deeper than the thought of having the oval ripped up or something. Uh, you would have picked it up as we read through. The issue is, of course, the law. Uh, it's not talking about law in general, as if any kind of law out there. It's a specific kind of law. It's the Old Testament law, the word that God had given to his people Israel uh, through Moses. Paul's mentioned it a few times, if you've been with us up to this point. He's mentioned it a few times through the letter, this law, this Old Testament law that was given to God's people, Israel. But now he turns to face the issue fully. Uh, You see, for God's people before Jesus, the Jewish nation, the people of Israel, this Old Testament law shaped every part of their life. It showed them, it showed God's people what God loved and what God hated Uh, Paul, as we've been reading through this letter, uh, Paul has laid out, he's been laying out his magnificent gospel, his great announcement about what God has done through Jesus. This incredible thing that has changed his life and changed all of history. We have no righteousness of our own. This is kind of just recapping where we've come from. We have no righteousness of our own, but through trusting in Jesus, God gives us his free gift of righteousness, of this right relationship with him. Uh, And we've seen this over the last few weeks. For Paul, what God did in Jesus changes everything. It changes everything for us. Um, A couple of chapters ago in chapter 5, we saw this new righteousness that God gives us. It's not just a kind of name that we get that doesn't change anything about us. It actually changes everything. It's not just a new status, but a new family. We've been taken out of Adam's family tree and put into Christ's. Uh, Now Jesus is the one who represents us, the one who acts for us. And because of that, last week we saw in chapter 6, because we've been joined to Jesus, we're now, we belong to him, we're connected to him, because of that, everything that's true of Jesus is now true of us. Everything that he has, we share in. We share in his death and his resurrection uh, through being united to him. We are uh, dead to sin, Paul says. We are dead to sin and we're free. We're alive to God. We've been taken out of sin's prison. If you imagine the image of a prison we had up a few weeks ago. We've been taken out of that prison and we've come under God uh, through Christ, through Jesus, as our rightful good king. All of that by way to say that a massive issue for the first people who would have read this letter, for the, for the Christians in Rome, a massive issue in all of this would have been with all this new stuff that Paul's talking about, all this newness, this new identity I now have, how do we think about this Old Testament law? Uh, for the Jewish Christian particularly, this would have been a huge and deeply personal question. The word of God given to the nation of Israel that governed everything about their their life. Uh, Well, perhaps you picked it up as we read through, but the one big shocking thing that Paul says here in chapter 7 is that through this whole being united to Jesus that he's been going on about, we are not only freed from sin and death, we are also freed from the Old Testament law as well. 
Uh, if you have a Bible open, that'll really help you as we move through this. I'm afraid uh, the, the text hasn't made it up onto the screen for the sermon. So a Bible open and perhaps your sermon outline will just really help you to sort of navigate your way through what we're doing. Um, you get this big idea down in verse 4 of chapter 7. He says, So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. See, this main thing, by being united to Christ, we're freed from this Old Testament law. Um, Paul, in the first few verses there, uh, before the one I just read out, the first few verses, Paul uses a bit of an illustration. Uh, That's what he's getting at, this whole idea. Uh, Just flick up to verse 1. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only so long as that person lives? Uh, He goes on for the rest of those verses to use this illustration of a, a woman who is bound to her husband by the law. The law kind of connects them together. Uh, until the husband dies and she's released from that law. It's a pretty, on one level, it's a simple kind of illustration. The main point's clear. The death of the husband ends the legal relationship. Uh, But it gets a little bit tricky as you kind of try and figure out who's what for Paul, why is he using this kind of illustration? Uh, Because for Paul, we're the husband who died, not the wife who's left alone. (laughs) Uh, or not, it's, it's a bit of a, there's a, a bit to say about that sort of illustration, but basically he's saying, so in verse 4 there, you get this idea, verse 4, so my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law uh, through the body of Christ, being connected to Jesus, so that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. There's, there's, there's sort of stuff we can go into, but we won't. But the big idea... Uh, we, through you being united to Christ, dying with him and being raised again, we are free from that legal relationship with the law. We're free from the Old Testament law. Uh, then you get down, if you can see chapter, uh, verses 5 and 6, uh, you kind of get, well, the, the Christians who have died to the Old Testament law, the, this idea that the law uh, is no longer the thing that dominates our life, it doesn't shape our relationship with God, with each other, the written code that punishes us if we don't do what it says. And for Paul, you can see this in uh, verses 5 and 6. For Paul, that's a really good thing. It's a really good thing because the law ended up, it ended up bearing fruit for death. Verse 5. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. That's a really important verse, friends, that verse 6. Really important verse for everything that I'm going to say this week and that we'll look at over the next few weeks as we go into Romans chapter 8. Verse 6 there is kind of a summary, the the kind of summary of all of chapter 7 and 8. These chapters go together. Through Jesus, you can see that in verse 6, we've died to the law, the old way of the written code. That's what chapter 7 is all about. So that we can serve in this new way of the Spirit. That's what chapter 8 is all about. And we'll get there. The thing is here though, friends, 
Uh, Paul could have jumped, if you can see verse 6 there, he could have jumped all the way over to the start of chapter 8 and kept going. He could have gone from there. Uh, He could have quite easily said, we've been released from the law so that we serve in this new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. Therefore, there is now no condemnation, chapter 8, for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life Uh, of the Spirit who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son. Paul could have done that, okay? There's there's lots to take in at this point. He could have sort of skipped, just jumped straight into chapter 8 there, but he doesn't. He knows that this whole issue of the Old Testament law, he knows it has the same kind of impact on his readers as some of those sacred cows even more, right? He knows he can't just deal with it quickly. It's a huge thing. And you think getting rid of our public holidays would get a strong reaction? It'd be nothing compared uh, to this claim that God's people are now no longer under God's law. So Paul spends the whole rest of this chapter trying to figure this out, trying to help help the Christians in Rome explain this to them. You see, a thoughtful Jewish Christian in Rome reading this letter, someone who uh, had been a a Jew, was uh, was converted, who, who saw Jesus as their Messiah, a thoughtful Jewish Christian would say, hang on a second, Paul. You're telling me we're free from sin, right? Great. Uh, But... You're saying that we're free from the law too? The law is the word of God. It was given to us by God. How can you say that we're free from it? Doesn't that undermine everything? Aren't you saying that the law itself is sinful? Well, friends, this is really important. It's really important. But what Paul is going to go on to say is that we're not free from the law in the same way as we're free from sin. We're not free in exactly the same way. You see, sin is always, for Paul, something to be repented of. It's an evil thing. It's a, it's a rejection of God and his goodness. Uh, you cannot say the same thing about the Old Testament law, though. Paul bends over backwards to show that the law... God's law is good, it is holy, and it's, it's just, it's spiritual, he says, it's from God. And what Paul's going to go on for the rest of the chapter to say is that the problem in this whole situation with God's people under God's law, the problem is not with the law, the problem is with us. The problem is with our sinful flesh. Before we kind of really skate through the rest of the chapter. A, a, kind of a brief disclaimer at this point. Uh, you may know, uh, you, you may not, but this is probably the most, if not one of the most, contested chapters in the whole Bible. Okay? There's more written about this chapter, about what it means. There's more disagreement over it than just about any other. And you should know that this is one of those passages that, gos- that gospel-loving, godly people far smarter than me have come to different opinions about. Okay, you should know that. And that's fine, right? We should feel comfortable about that because our trust is not in our capacity to figure everything out. Our trust is in the person of Jesus, in him and his death for us. 
so this is a kind of uh, uh, one of those passages that there's lots of debate about. So on one level, I think that means we shouldn't be kind of quick to form an opinion about this and we shouldn't be arrogant. Uh, we need to be open to having sort of being challenged and changed in our views about this. You know, uh, I've been wrong three times before. This could be the fourth. Uh, that's a joke, by the way. Uh, so we shouldn't be arrogant about this, uh, but I don't think we should be scared either. The, the other kind of extreme to approach something that's a bit, little bit complex and there's lots of debate about. We can just clam up a bit and, f and feel a bit scared and not really think. What well, we shouldn't be that as well. I think this is God's good word to us, and we trust that He will use it to shape us as we come to it humbly and prayerfully. <laughs> uh, so, but that's just a slight kind of disclaimer. I'm going to teach a particular. Uh, kind of what, what I think that this passage actually means, but you should know that others will have some disagreement about that. Um, see how you go, all right? Uh, so the rest of the chapter is where the kind of issues hit, uh, where there's lots of disagreement. Uh, so what's the problem in all of this? On one level, Paul's saying something really simple. We're free from, we're, in Christ, we're free from that written code. We're, we're no longer under the Old Testament law. But this whole question of, does that mean the law was bad? Does that mean the law was sinful, was wrong? Paul goes out of his way to explore this and he says, no, the problem is not God's law but our sinful flesh. Um, if you want to just briefly know some of the reasons why this is a bit of a tricky passage, the main thing that people find hard about it is to figure out who is talking, who's the I all the way through, I this, I that. Who is talking? Paul seems to be talking about himself. Uh, but the problem is he says stuff that it, it's hard to think that Paul could say about himself. So if one example in verse 9, flick your eye down there, it says, Once I was alive apart from the law, apart from the Old Testament law. Uh, it's hard to kind of figure out how Paul, who was, who was a Jew and uh, a Pharisee, always under God's law, how he could say that. Um, there are other issues along the way. Some people have kind of thought that this isn't Paul talking. Uh, he, he's taking on the persona of someone else, like a, a, maybe a, a non-Christian person or uh, an, an, a Jewish person. Um, we're not going to go into the mountains of arguments about all this. I basically think it is actually Paul talking about himself, uh, but he uses his own story as a way to connect to a much larger story, uh, the story of Israel, and even bigger than that, the story of every person, the story of humanity, the story of the world in Adam. Uh, and it's here, I think, that this is a really important passage for all of us, friends. You see, on one level, the passage doesn't, is not going to relate to many people here, unless you're a Jewish person who's come to see Jesus as your Messiah, this may be a very real kind of direct struggle for you. Um, but what Paul does here in talking about how we are freed from the Old Testament law, I think what he does is he gives us an incredible insight into human nature, into what it means to be a human person what it means to live in this world and especially what it means to live in this world that is broken and fallen under sin. 
Um, we're not going to read through every verse. Uh, maybe you'll be relieved to know that. We're not going to kind of uh, go through all the details together today. What I'd like to do, though, is before we kind of look at more at the passage, I'd like to get a... I'm going to put a bit of a diagram up on the screen. I think this is helpful for us to figure out, just to conceptualise what Paul's talking about in this passage. It helps me uh, see how you go with it. See, the story Paul has been telling all through this letter uh, is the story of life in Adam, humanity in Adam. Yeah, humanity having rejected God... And as we've read along, humanity under sin and judgment. Uh, Paul uses a really important word to describe that. He talks about this idea of the flesh. Maybe your Bible, the NIV Bibles that we have, translate that, put that word as sinful nature. You might have read that on the way through. If you see sinful nature, it's just this word flesh. Um, They use that phrase, sinful nature, for good reasons because... Uh, this idea of flesh is not talking about um, it's, it's not talking about a bodily experience as opposed to a non-physical sort of thing. It's not this split between flesh and or bodies and non-bodies. Uh, flesh here is just another way for Paul to say humans opposed to God, humans in rebellion against God. And the incredible gospel that Paul has taught uh, uh, through this uh, is that God has broken in. God himself, in the person of his son, Jesus, has broken into this situation. In the cross of Jesus and in his resurrection, a new humanity has begun. A new humanity. Not in the realm of the flesh, not humanity opposed to God, a new humanity in the realm of the spirit, humanity at peace with God, humanity finally at rest and at one, at peace with God. Uh, this is the story of humanity in one level. This is the story of the whole world, the, uh, if you want a kind of picture of The whole Bible's story, this is kind of a bit of a snapshot, one representation of it, uh, from creation right through to the new creation in Christ, this new new humanity that's going to uh, continue forever with God. But it's also the story of individual Christians, of, of individual people, you and me. And this is where it's really key for us, I think. Uh, See, we live, we live in here. We live in here. For Paul, uh, through being joined to Jesus, through being joined to Jesus, we have died, he says, and we have been raised to new life in Christ. Romans 6, we kind of spent a lot of time thinking about that. That is the, the reality about who we are. We are in Christ, dead to sin and alive to God. We are no longer in the realm of the flesh, that's not the key thing about who we are. That's not our deepest, truest identity. We are now in Christ, in the realm of the Spirit. But while we're no longer in the realm of the flesh, we still live on in these fleshy bodies, right? I'm not talking about <laughs> how fleshy you think you are. But our fleshy bodies, our bodies 
that are still subject to this fallen world, this existence. Our, our bodies, we're not in the flesh, we're not under its dominion, but we, we are now truly, and the most true thing to say about those who have faith in Jesus is that they are in Christ, but we still live on in these bodies, these bodies that are broken, not only physically but morally. And while we're not in sin's prison anymore, we saw this the other week, sin still calls from us through the gates, through the bars. It still calls from us to us, tempting us. And we do still sin. We do go back into fleshy ways, even though in Jesus we are new people. See what's being said here. There is a great tension in the Christian life. Uh, if you want somewhere else to go for this, it's going to show up in chapter 8 as well when we get there. Uh, in a few weeks' time later in chapter, eight, uh, chapter 8, in verse 14, Paul says, uh, we are the children of God. We have the spirit of adoption. We have received it. We are children of God. But then later in the chapter, verse 23, Paul says, we're waiting for our adoption as, as sons. So which is it? Are we God's children now or are we waiting to become God's children? Well, the answer is yes. Uh, you see, in Jesus, we are. We are. That is the truth, friends. And if your faith is in Christ, there's no doubt about it. That is the truth. But we still live in this fallen world and these fallen bodies. And so while we, we still wait for what's true of us in Christ to become fully true of us in every way, in our own experience... You see, that's why Paul has to say, do you ever wonder why does Paul, if everything Paul has said has been true, why does he have to tell us to do anything? Because we, we've already, we have been made new in Christ, he says. But you see that this is why Paul has to say, he has to give us this urging, this instruction, this command even, to count yourselves as you truly are in Christ, to count yourself as dead to sin and alive to God. Believe it. Live it out. Don't offer yourselves to sin. You're no longer in the flesh, even though you still have your fleshy bodies. Well, friends, how does all this help us uh, with Romans? I'm just going to leave this up there for the rest of the sermon, and hopefully as we kind of skate through the rest of the chapter, this might help us to get some sense of why Paul can say what he says in this chapter. Um, the rest of the passage, uh, for those who are interested in this sort of thing, uh, from verse 7 to 13, it talks in the past. It talks about me in the past. Uh, and then the rest of the chapter onwards, it talks about me right now in the present. And that's on your outline, you can see there. Um, there's lots to say here, friends. And we'll see how we go. Yeah, as, yeah. Uh, Paul, he's talking about this idea of me in the past. He, he takes us back to... Israel getting the law in, uh, from verse 7. He says, What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. And then he quotes one of the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments. You shall not covet. And that's a really interesting one, isn't it? How can you measure whether you're coveting or not? It's not something that you can tick off. It's something that's so internal. And he says, Well, seizing the opportunity... Sin produced, it sprang to life in me, producing every kind of coveting, having heard this command. 
Now then from verse 9, uh, there's that verse I mentioned before. He says, once I was alive apart from the law. I think what he's doing there is he's taking us back not only to the Old Testament Ten Commandments, he's taking us back right back to the beginning, to Adam, to the Garden of Eden, the story of the very beginning. Uh, Paul is talking about his sin, but he's also talking about everyone's sin, the sin of Adam. God had given a command to the first humans, to Adam and Eve. If you know the story, right? God gives this command. You, you can eat every tree in the garden except for the one in the middle. Um, the, and what the, the key thing Paul's saying in this little part is that that command was good. It was, it was a good thing, and this is so crucial. To have a command from God is a wonderful gift because we are made to live in humble dependence and on God as his creature. We are made to live obeying and depending on him. That's how we flourish. That's how we live the best life. So to have a command from God is his good gift to us so that we can live this out, live out trusting him and obeying him. But when the commandment came, instead of trusting God and joyfully obeying Sin sprang to life and I died. And I think what Paul's saying here is that tr that's true of him in Adam. That's true of everyone in Adam. We share his sin. We buy into the lie that God won't deliver, that he can't be trusted. And so while the law was good, both the Ten Commandments and the, all the rest of the Old Testament laws were good and the, the command to Adam in the garden, it's good... Because of our sinful flesh, it only leads to death. It only leads to death. Even it only, because of the sinful flesh, our, our, our fleshiness. Uh, even that, though, isn't out of God's control. God had a purpose in it all. You see that in verse 13. In order that sin might be recognised as sin, it used what, what is good that is this law, it used the law to bring about my death so that through the commandment sin might become utterly sinful. See what's going on here, sin, we, uh, uh, God is sort of over all of this uh, and so that we would see how sinful sin is, how it doesn't deliver, that it is evil, that it only leads to death. Uh, just quickly then, friends, uh, this incredible... Well, who was I talking to before? And they said, this is the Abba passage. I do, I do, I do, I do, I do. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All the I do's and I do nots and all of that, it can be pretty confusing, right, this last section. Uh, but there's this switch. He's now talking about himself in the present, um, this, about me in the present from verse 14 to the end. And I think what's going on here, if you see the diagram right there, I think what Paul's saying here, he's, he's trying to describe this, this tension of living in here. We are in Christ. We're not fundamentally, we're not in Adam anymore. But we still have our Adamish bodies. You know, our, our, we, we are adopted in Christ, yet we still wait for our adoption to be kind of finally, fully realised. Uh, we still feel, we, st we, we still live on in these bodies that are so broken by sin. 
That's why Paul can speak as if he's in this tension. I do not understand what I do from uh, verse 15. For what I want to do, I do not do. What I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature, that's in my flesh. See what he's saying here? There's, there's, he still has this fleshiness about him that uh, sin lives in in some way, uh, that, that has no good in itself. And then he finishes right at the end there, after going through all of this sort of inner turmoil, he finishes down, you can read it there uh, in verse 24, what a wretched man I am. What a wretched man I am. Uh, and that's something that we can sort of you know, relate to, can't, it? can't we? Perhaps you can. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Well, friends, uh, you see, while, he, while he's still bound in this body that's bound for death, uh, it does create this incredible tension for Paul. But do you see the underlying reality of all of this? Paul knows that the truest thing about him is that he is in Christ. That's the reality, and that's why he can say at the end of that verse, thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus. Okay. There's more to say, and we're going to go on next week to see about in chapter 8 uh, to explore this idea of not the way of the written code, but the way of the Spirit, this new realm of the Spirit. But I just want to finish by reflecting on what the, a few things that this brings out for us. You see, I think what Romans 7 is teaching us is that sin is so deep that we can never escape it in this life. That's why the law, even though it was good, that's why the law could never save. And it still can't. We can't escape sin. But do you see from up there, do you see that we do have a new relationship with it? I'm going to finish with this, okay? Three truths and three examples. See how we go. Three truths. Three truths have to do with sin, with its penalty and its power and its presence. Uh, it, you see, we, what this shows us, friends, what Romans chapter 7, I think, is telling us, is, and the whole of Romans up to this point, we are free from the penalty of sin. Uh, last week we had it brought home. We have died and we have been raised with Christ. We are dead to sin as something that... Sin can't point any fingers at us anymore. It can't say, you're condemned. We are dead to, to the penalty of sin. We have a new life. We are reconciled to God. We have been freed from its penalty. And secondly, we are being freed from its power. We have been freed from its penalty. We are now being freed from its power. Sin, it's still, we, you know, we, we still have these bodies bound to death. We, sin still calls through to us through the prison walls that we're, even though we're on the outside under Christ the Christian life and that's what 
what we looked at last week is so important. The Christian life is all about remembering, realising who we are in Christ. We are free in him and living it out. More on that next week. We're, okay, we're freed from sin's penalty. We're freed from sin's, we are being freed from sin's power. But do you see what the good news about at the end of this is? We will one day finally be freed from its presence. We have been freed from its penalty. It can't give us any penalty. We are being now freed from its power and we will be free from its presence. Chapter 7 says that we will never be free of its presence while we're in these bodies, while we wait for Jesus to return and make everything new. And when that happens, what's real in Jesus will become the reality in every way. But friends, can you see what this means here now for us? It means that your struggle with sin, your struggle with sin is, uh, in this situation, normal. Uh, sometimes our sin, friends, can lead us to despair, can't it? Uh, perhaps even to doubt if we're Christians. But struggling with sin is normal in this tension in which we live. I'm going to go further than that, though, and say what's more. Your struggle, this kind of war raging within you with sin, is itself a sign that God's Spirit is at work in you. You only feel this tension, this struggle, because you are in Christ by faith. You only feel it because God has caused you to be born again through Christ and given you this new identity in him, even though you still live on in this world of fleshiness. You only feel that. Uh, so, friends, don't be disheartened by your struggle. The only time to start worrying is when you stop worrying. Okay? The time to start worrying about things is when you stop worrying about your sin. Okay, three sort of truths, I think, about the penalty, power and presence of sin. Three examples to finish up with. I'm going to, just three sort of people uh, that might exemplify, three examples of how we can relate to sin here and now in this kind of situation. Apologies if this is your name. I were just really quickly pulled out of my head. Uh, three people, okay. Careless Kate, helpless Harry, intense Terry. Yeah, we'll get there. Uh, uh, careless Kate says... What is all the fuss about, really? I mean, don't get so caught up in all of this, uh, all of this fuss and worry about sin. Big deal. I stuff up sometimes, so it's no big deal. I'm forgiven. Can you see how kind of careless Kate doesn't really match up, well, it doesn't really match up to Paul here, who engages in this deep struggle. He knows his sin belongs his sin belongs down here and that's perishing and not only that, it's offensive to God and he knows that this is where he truly is in Christ. Uh, he couldn't be a careless Kate. The other kind of extreme though, it might be helpless Harry who does feel his sin. Uh, he hates it but he's kind of given up the struggle, given up the fight. I give up. It's too much. I don't, I, you know, the struggle on the other end, I'm just helpless under my sin. No, friends, we should be tense Terry, not in that we should all be really sort of uptight and 
uh, anxious all the time. That's not, that's not how I mean tense. Uh, <laughs> tense Terry recognises where he is and the tension that rightly exists where he is. I am in Christ, he says. My sin is no longer who I am. I am free from its penalty. I have no fear. I am right with God. I'm at peace with God. But I know God wants me to be increasingly free right now from its power. And I'm going to hear Paul in chapter 6, that we his urging. I'm going to hear that and I'm going to take it on board. He's urging not to give myself to sin, but to give myself to God. I'm going to hear that. I'm going to grasp hold of chapter 8, which we'll get to here. I'm going to grasp hold of that. And I'm going to keep struggling. Because I know that this struggle is just temporary. And one day I'm going to be freed from sin's presence altogether. And then there will be no more cry of wretched man that I am. There will only be thanks be to God who delivers me and has fully delivered me through Jesus Christ, my Lord. Friends, as I said, lots to kind of chew on in these verses, isn't there? Um, the, the, the big goal that Paul wants for us is that this will actually sink into us and, and change us and transform us. The key, though, is not to read seven on its own, uh, and that's why she come back next week as we start looking at chapter 8, the glorious reality of what life in the realm of the Spirit is like. So, but uh, for today, I'm just going to pray as we finish up the, with uh, chapter 7. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you for the incredible gospel that we've heard in Romans, that we are free from the penalty of sin. Thank you that you free us from its power more and more here and now by your spirit as we gather together as your people, as we submit to your word. And we thank you for the wonderful hope we have that we will be freed from its presence. Father, help us to not either be sort of dismissive of our sin, but neither to be so broken by it uh, that we just give up the struggle. Help us to recognise this tension of who we are in Christ. Uh, and Lord, give us, please, by your Spirit, the, the courage and the grace to continue, uh, to continue reckoning ourselves to be who we really are in Christ, dead to sin and alive to you. And we pray all of these things for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, friends, what we're going to do now, and we might 